you know, we know what coping skills are. Coping skills are exercise, eating right, you know, phoning a friend, play, you know, those are coping skills. Coping mechanisms are those things we reach for, right? And coping mechanisms have become the default. Buy something, drink something, take something, leave someone, right? Anything to not feel whatever it is we're feeling. Frozen yeah. thin mints. <laughs> <laughs> those are not helping my clumps of hair in my shower. Right, so, so those coping mechanisms that we reach for, that we know that they're, they're just so easily and readily available. Yeah. We don't even have the chance between stimulus and response to say, I think I'm gonna go for a walk. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over, but let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. Mark Silverman was my very first guest on the Trauma Hiders Club podcast, and he's back. He's back for this show, and it's a milestone show. It's show number 50. Mark was both the first guest, and today he's the 50th guest. Today, we're talking about overwhelm. Listen in. This conversation is full of insights brilliance. And because it's the Trauma Hiders Club, it's full of fuckery. Of course. Join us. You're in the Trauma Hiders Club. Mark, here you are in the Trauma Hiders Club. The two-time club, the two-time club. Two-time club. You have your jacket. Did you get it? Your two-timers club jacket? I'm waiting for it. I I go to the mailbox every single day. (laughs) So here you are. What do you want to hide from me? Ooh, what do I want to hide from you? Uh, I want to hide from you the fact that I don't feel well. Mm. I'm not feeling. I'm not feeling great today. Mm. And uh, and I was whining to my partner earlier. I'm like, look, I'm whining to you because I gotta turn it on and show up for the rest of the day. So let me whine. Let me be a victim. Let me be a little little. You know. And you now now I'm gonna show up 100 for you. Okay. Interesting. Well, you always have the option of not showing up and rescheduling. Always. And that is still an option. Not going to happen. Okay. All right. Why is that? On one hand, it's because I don't eat my own dog food. Uh huh. (laughs) I do eat my own dog food. I do practice what I teach, except that I still, at almost 60 years old, think I'm indestructible. Mm hmm. I, I do it all because I can do it all. Yeah. 
you know, and if I felt like I couldn't do it, I wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. Like I, like my book boundaries, like I would set a boundary if I felt like I needed to. Yeah. But like you were talking about earlier, when we we're going to talk about this, you don't generally feel overwhelmed. Right. I don't generally feel like I need the rest, even though I need the rest. Right. So if I felt like I needed the rest, I would like every time I talk to a Christian science, I said, yeah, no, I haven't been to a doctor in 40 years. I'm like, oh, well, what do you have against doctors? This is nothing. If I ever needed a doctor, I would go to the doctor. Okay, good answer. So that's that's my thing. Uh, back when back in December, when I was in the hospital, I had the blood clots and stuff. Five days later, I drove to New York. I was on the 24th floor doing a, my mastering overwhelm workshop for 12 CEOs overlooking Central Park. And I got to the front of the room and I was like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have done this. Mm. And I said to them, I said, you know, I want to pretend that I'm okay. Okay. Uh, but I really can't. So this is this is what you get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was honest with them and I rocked it. But by the end, I was a ball of sweat and I couldn't wait to get back to my hotel room and just lay down, you know, for an hour and let the buzzing stop. But again, I can get out of the hospital, drive five hours to New York into the city, right? Wake up in the morning and do a workshop. Of course I can. Of course you can, having had blood clots and the Drano to bust them up. That oh, makes... yeah, the, the Drano to bust them up was worse, almost worse than that. Yeah, that makes total fucking sense. Okay, so I'm going to be gentle with you, Mark, and um, not... I want, I want Tina Turner, Karen. Not that. <laughs> I don't want slow, gentle, I want rough. <laughs> All right, this will be Tina Turner and Mad Max. I will mad max your ass right uh, here, right now. Uh, now, we're, okay. now we're talking. Now we're talking. All right. So something that I was talking about with Mark, something that occurred to me. So you've been talking about overwhelm your podcast. Is there a book about overwhelm that you're writing? I'm, in, I'm stalled in the middle of writing the book about overwhelm because a whole bunch of other businesses come my way that I'm really excited about. And overwhelmed about? I do get overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, as I tell people in my workshop, I'm like, I can't keep you from being out of overwhelm. You guys are entrepreneurs, you're, you're CEOs, like you're going to be overwhelmed. I can help you get out of overwhelm. I so see. I know how to, when I feel the tidal wave, I know how to work myself out of it so I can get more creative and uh, effective. Okay. Okay. So lots of business, but you are writing a book about overwhelm. And the name of the podcast is? Is now Mastering Overwhelm, How to Thrive in Business, Relationship, and Life. Nice. Really nice. Okay. So something that I noticed and I've noticed for a long time is it wasn't until I was probably getting married, I think. Like three years, three, four years ago. Yeah. Three, four years ago, plus 28 years ago. It wasn't until then when, so when I was getting married, um, my brother and sister also got married in the same year. And in fact, we got married, the three of us got married three in three months. Wow. My brother got married in March. I got married in April. My sister got married in May. And I will add that my mother had a heart attack in the process. She lived, but she had a heart attack. That's only the only response to three weddings. In three right, months. exactly. So she was taken out of the planning process and I was the only person in town. My sister was getting married in Cleveland, but didn't live in Cleveland. My brother was getting married in Cleveland, didn't live in Cleveland. I was getting married in Florida, but lived in Cleveland. <laughs> Made no sense. Anyway, 
And I remember people kept saying, oh, you must be so overwhelmed because I was young and essentially like kind of planning three weddings. Um, and I remember hearing the word and I thought, I'm not really sure what that means. Like, because people kept saying to me, you must be overwhelmed. And I wasn't sure what that meant, but I would say like, huh, yeah, fast forward <laughs> to various jobs when people would say, oh, you must be overwhelmed, in which case I had the very same response. And then with children and various things throughout my life. And I still to this day, I don't, I know what the word means. It's not something I can easily recall even in my vocabulary. I don't know what that I know what overwhelm feels like. And I have an assertion that that is a trauma response for me. Mm. And I also have an assertion that for some people, feeling overwhelmed is a trauma response. So let's riff on that shit, Mark. <laughs> so what's the emotion? What's the feeling in your body when you have so much on your plate, but you don't have enough time to get to it all? Yeah, I don't have that feeling. Great. So you look at it and what do you, when you look at a to-do list, you don't seem to have enough time. How do you process that? Yeah. See, that's a thing that I don't experience. So do you get it all done or do you drop things out and not worry about it? I say I can do everything. There is not a thing I cannot do in this world. Yet I have heard you on this show over and over and in personal conversations, talk about how you trash yourself, beat yourself up. Sure. So how does those two live in the same person? Yeah. So this is my own personal fuckery, right? So, <laughs> so this is the me that says, oh, well, there's nothing I can't do. And then things just happen to fall off. And then there's all sorts of shit talk that starts happening, right? So maybe my overwhelm is shit talk. I don't know. Even before, when you mentioned this topic, I was thinking about it. I've been, I've been thinking about this conversation for days is I think I think the shit talk is instead of feeling it because I think ah. the feeling of letting people down the feeling of fucking up is too overwhelming for you to actually allow in yeah. so you beat yourself up before other people can beat yourself up yes. you get everything done before anybody could catch you letting anybody down yes right? so you get to it before anybody else so you don't ever have to have that feeling of letting someone down yes I want to give you snaps for that so I'm going to in case you can't hear that. Snaps. Yes, that really lands with me. I will beat everyone to the feeling of disappointment by disappointing people. Yes. Beat yourself up about disappointing them before they get Yes. To. And then by the time they get to you, you're like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Exactly. Yes, I've already reconciled. You I, you've, already, you've already in the lightning speed processed that. Yeah. Yep. I beat you to that disappointment. I've already been there, processed it, done. You're, you're late to the party. You can't touch me. Yeah. Fucking amen. Mark, you're so fucking brilliant. We're done here. Podcast is <laughs> you can so go now. Let's take the flip side. Yeah. So for, for me, I spent my whole life feeling too small for life. Mm. The trauma, the, the, the internal belief that I've worked on, you know, in all kinds of workshops and therapy is that I was ill-equipped. I came to this world ill-equipped, right? I wasn't taught something. I wasn't given something. Like I just am missing a piece to be able to function in life. Uh, so I was overwhelmed by everything 
all the time. Mm. So our greatest fear, our greatest challenge becomes our greatest strength, right? I didn't know how to set boundaries. So I wrote a book about setting boundaries, right? I felt overwhelmed. So I, I go around the country and around the world teaching people how not to be overwhelmed because I fucking hate being overwhelmed. I fucking hate being overwhelmed because I feel it so, so acutely. Mm. I love that, Mark. There is such brilliance there. Something just occurred to me that perhaps there's an opportunity for <laughs> for me to write a book about how to disappoint people before they <laughs> I'm going to become a professional disappointer. Before they how to disappoint people before they know they're disappointed. <laughs> no, but really, I mean how how magnificent for you to master that very thing and to help people to see it in themselves, right? Like you have mastered that thing and so much that you can speak about it, right? That's brilliance. That's mastery. Exactly. And it's only in hindsight that I figured, you know, that you figure out that, oh my God, that was my, you know, like, why, why am I going around talking about mastering overwhelm all the time? Why is that my passion in life, right? Why am I doing logos on mastering overwhelm? Oh, because I hate overwhelm. Yeah. Steve Chandler, the great you know, author and coach, has, has said that overwhelm is the perception of outsized consequences for getting something done and not getting something done. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's, it's a projection of outsized consequences of fucking up. Yeah. That's overwhelm. And it's in the future. Hmm. What do you think would happen if... We just spent our lives in overwhelm without getting out, without finding a way to get out of it. I think we're getting right now between the pandemic, uh, the political discourse that we're in. I think we're all in a bit of overwhelm. Then throw in a war that we desperately want to do something about, but can't seem to do Mm -hmm. anything about. With the threat in the back of our minds of nuclear war, with everything... We're in overwhelm, whether we whether we feel it or not. You know, I, I, the the word that I use and uh, the the joke is I'm the foremost authority in the world on this word only because I use it in a podcast and got calls from all over the world of people asking me about it. And every time I ask people who know if they know the word, in thousands of uh, people in my audiences know, but not one person has ever come up with it. And the word is allostatic load. So allostatic load is that level of stress, that level of anxiety that we live with all day, every day. So sometimes, you know, if you meditate and you breathe and you do yoga and you, you know, you eat right and you do all this stuff, right? And you try not to watch the news and all this stuff, your allostatic load is probably low. But if you turn on Morning Joe or Fox and Friends, you know, to figure out who to be mad at during the day, right? Then your kid's school calls because, you know, people tested COVID positive, so they have to stay home. Right. And then now your allostatic load is up. So you have a lot less, less reserves. So I think well, right now, ever and I think it's ever since 9-11 in the United States, people have had just a little bit of fight or flight, just a little bit of fear, a little bit of overwhelm, high allostatic load ever since then. And I think that's one of the reasons why fear drives our discourse. So that, that's my pontification on the subject. It's interesting. As you were describing, so I have actually did know allostatic load, having recently taken a trauma and somatics course and certification. And 
something that I've recognized over the past couple of years is with my mother's dementia and really rapid decline, I don't even know that I'm particularly aware, but I am I'm sensitive to this sort of other worldliness of waiting for the for the phone to ring and this sort of semi-panic state whenever the phone rings and it and it does it doesn't I'm not necessarily waiting for it to be somebody who's with my mother but I am always certain it is about my mother mm. and this is interesting I am losing my hair I have a lot of hair as you can see this is my workout hair, but yeah, I'm losing some of my hair. And I have a feeling that that is, here's my overwhelm manifesting itself in my hairline. Yeah. If you're not feeling, if you're not, again, emotions, if you're not feeling them, if you're not allowing them to flow right. through, they're getting stuck somewhere, which is the reason I do this overwhelm workshop and why yeah. I talk about this all the time, because I, you know, I hang out with the 1%, right? That's who I coach. That's who I work with. And, and, and even, you know, even people who aren't that successful and, and, and wealthy, the amount of stress. So the things that we do, the coping mechanisms we use, you know, we know what coping skills are. Coping skills are exercise, eating right, you know, phoning a friend, play, you know, those are coping skills. Coping mechanisms are those things we reach for, right? And coping mechanisms have become the default. Buy something, drink something, take something leave someone right anything to not feel whatever it is we're feeling frozen uh, thin mints <laughs> <laughs> those are not helping my clumps of hair in my shower right so so those coping mechanisms that we reach for that we know that they're, they're just so easily and readily available yeah we don't even have the chance between stimulus and response to say i think i'm gonna go for a walk right yeah yeah, the exercise has definite. It's it's helped. I mean, like I can see a, I can feel a shift. I feel more at ease, and yet it's that phone thing. Like mm. I keep my phones far away at night, and don't let them ring until after eight o'clock in the morning because nothing. Look, if somebody's going to die or have an emergency, they're still going to be dead or they're still going to be in a critical state when I wake up. So I'm just not going to handle it. And if I'm underslept, I won't be able to handle it. So I'm just not going to deal with it. But yeah, I'm trying to think of healthy ways. And yet I am still in this allostatic load. Right. So my question to you is, how can you slow down enough to actually let those emotions, feelings, and traumas catch up to you? Because yeah. again, so you know, one of the things I teach in the workshop is our fear you know, uh, is a prehistoric thing that kept us alive. We're alive because our, our ancestors were afraid of something and ran away and lived, right? So that's in us. So when you see a saber-toothed tiger, you're supposed to go into fight or flight, your breathing's supposed to change, your nervous system's supposed to change, everything's supposed to because you want to run away or you want to get out of the way of a bus. Again, you know, this is very cliche, but you know, we walk around scared of things that actually can't hurt us. So in the workshop, what I do is I have people put a list of things that are actually a saber tooth tiger in their lives. And I'll go first, my taxes, right? My expense reports. I've done a year of speaking and I, uh, I've done what, 16 to 18 talks this past year. 
I've only put in four expense reports. Because an expense report in Concur, this clunky thing is like a saber tooth tiger to me. I can't breathe. I can't think, mm. right? I can't like, so I ask people to look for what are the saber tooth tigers in your lives that aren't dangerous, but you act as if they're life or death. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something I can do. And then what do I do with that? So you, you know the skills. You can sit and breathe. You can write about it. You can draw. You can do interpretive dance. Okay. Right? You, can, you can do all those things, but you gotta you gotta let allow them in. Okay. And for you, it might start off as negative self-talk, and then you sit there with this negative self-talk and wait for what's behind it. I remember. I do remember the same thing with you. I remember. I was reading Alan Cohen's Relax Into Wealth. And Alan said, uh, what if you treated yourself the way you treat everybody you love in your life? And I was like, no. <laughs> That'd be terrible. I, nobody would want to be near me. What a silly thing. <laughs> like, you know, put myself, you know, what if you put yourself on the list? I'm like, where would you put yourself on the list? That just doesn't make any sense. And what I realized was that the, the reason I beat myself up and trashed myself so much was in order to beat everybody else to it. I knew the world was going to beat me up. I knew the world was going to, you know, stomp on me and all that. And I figure I do it first so it doesn't hurt, right? So I, when I realized, oh, and then I realized, I felt like if I didn't worry, it meant I didn't care, right? So if I didn't beat myself up and I didn't worry about all the things I wasn't doing, if I didn't, didn't feel like I didn't care, because for me, caring was all this emotion. And right. it occurred to me, oh, wow, I could care and actually not feel a damn thing. Right. And I noticed that at like funerals or when people are in house, and I'm so good now in, in when people are in really bad shape. Every time I go do a new speaking engagement, I have to buy a new piece of clothing, just a thing I have to do. <laughs> and I went into uh, one of the stores and the woman was helping me, she had an accent. And I was like, I know where she's from. So I said, so where are you from? And she just said, you couldn't. I said, oh my goodness. I said, how are you doing? How is your family? And she just burst into tears. Mm. Now, for me, I actually didn't feel a whole heck of a lot for her. Like, I, like for me, I would think caring would be crying with her or caring would be devastated in myself. What I actually felt was I saw her, I heard her, felt her, and I just stayed present. Mm -hmm. And she said, I can't talk about this. I have to compartmentalize so I can work. I said, great, got it. Love you. Let's keep going, right? But, but, you know, years ago, it would have meant I had to sit there with the lump in my chest. And I remember Byron Katie saying, you know, if, if, someone's on, if someone's in the ocean drowning, you don't jump in and help them. You throw them a life preserver. That's right. Right. And, I, and that just helped me so much. I don't have to feel all these things and I can be so much more useful. Right. Yep. No idea why that turn took to this conversation. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to steer us off into a port and you're like, all right, where's the off ramp on that one? No, all really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, back in trauma and overwhelm. So Mark, I can steer us to an off ramp here. What are you most excited about in your world? Ooh, so my, my, uh, my one-on-one practices uh, got a waiting list. Nice. Uh, what does that mean? It means I, I know what I, that means. I don't have room for any more any more one to one clients. Like people are waiting to work with me, which is really wonderful. You know, it's been years of work to get to that reputation where 
that's it. But for me, you know, I'm going to be 60 this year, and I'm trying. And, you know, and I've never really cared about scaling. I've never really cared about having a big business. I just love what I do. Uh, but this year, this past year, it's been put in my ear. You know, what if I could help more people? What if I could impact more people? What if I stopped trading time for money the way I do now, and I could impact instead of one person at a time, I could impact 20 people or 100 people. Uh, so I'm building this, this next year is all about building programs and offerings that can help people, you know, not at the prices that I charge to talk to me one on one. But you know, you can buy my book for $10, you can take a course for $1,000, right, you can have group coaching for, you know, whatever. So I'm really excited by about building those things that I'm doing this year. So that you know, when I die, this work, whatever it is that came through me, is helping me. Really cool. I'm gonna just for a moment. I'm gonna take you back so that we don't yada yada success. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, using a Seinfeld reference. So what you said was that you're about to be sixty. That you haven't had a practice where you had a waiting list up until now. How did it happen? that you got to this point where now you have this practice that has a waiting list. How did that happen? Well, years of work, years of reputation, years of getting good at what I do. So planting seeds and that kind of thing. So that's, that's one. But I think the internal thing, that the internal shift that happened was, uh, you're familiar with the Enneagram, right? With what? Enneagram. Yes. What is your Enneagram? Uh, mine is an eight. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, what is yours? Uh, well, for years, I thought I was a seven. So for your audience, Enneagram is just one of those personality tests that help you figure out what your child, you know, kind of your childhood coping mechanisms that worked for you when you were a child that you brought into adult life. You don't use them all the time. They're just kind of your fallback when you're not at your best, when you're scared, when you're tired, whatever. And they're kind of the way you get motivations in the world. I don't see you as a seven. So I was told I was a seven about eight years ago. Really, you know, so a seven is the kind of the ADD addict guy, the life of the party, you know, can talk his way in or out of anything, and I can do that. Uh, you know, all these things, uh, very creative, all that, but I never, re- I always, I'm, I'm a rabid introvert, right? I'm not the life of the party, right? Uh, so I'm not going to be the lead in the conga line. And I'm like, why do I get all the bad things for a seven, but none of the good things? I don't understand any of that. Got retested by uh, a mutual friend of ours, Hayden Lee. And it was much more exhaustive, much more in depth. And I came out as a two. So a two is the happy helper, mm. which was a revelation to yeah. me. Yeah. The revelation to me was uh, that uh, I get my self esteem and I get my self worth by how useful and how valuable I am to the people around me. Right. So that was all of a sudden that just clicked in. Right. And then I saw it everywhere. Now, the, one of the negatives is, my giving can be transactional, right? I want something when I give to you. That kind of made me want to throw up for about three days, right? That, that, that I am more transactional. I'm not this altruistic loving guy, you know, like I am a loving guy, but I also, you know, I got a barber there. And uh, what I realized was I've spent, you know, the whole prosperous coach thing that you and I have both been part of, which is all about service, 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 and the clients will come. Well, I got off on that as an Enneagram too, because if someone just told me, wow, Mark, that two hours, 
holy mackerel, you changed my life. I'm paid. I'm good. So as long as the world is telling Mark how wonderful I am and how amazing I am, and I get that feedback all the time, don't mean to be, you know, but I get the feedback yeah. because that's what I'm looking for in the world. I'm paid. I'm good. And when, when Hayden pointed that out to me, I was like, wow, that was, that's really fascinating. I have not asked for the sale. I have not charged. I have not valued what I do well enough because I was perfectly happy being told that I was valuable. Yep. Now, I don't care if you're telling me I'm valuable, pay my ass. <laughs> that's right. And the truth is I do want to give to the world. I don't want to, I don't want it to be a couple thousand dollars an hour to talk to me. And that's the only people who talk to me. Right. But in order to be able to do this, I need to pay my bills. I need to pay my mortgage. I need to take care of my kids, right? And all that stuff and health insurance in the United States, uh, 1400 bucks a month. Yep. So by doing this, by having a thriving business, I can put out lower cost free stuff. Like I, so the whole thing comes full circle. But that, that was, that's one of the things, you know, again, trauma. The way I stayed safe as a kid was to be cute, lovable, valuable to people, right? Yeah. So I brought that into my adult life. Uh, so as long as people think I'm wonderful, I'm safe. Got it. Okay. So my question was, how did you do this? And you went to the Enneagram. Well, so I, so I said the shift, I said the, the ex external stuff was, I just got really good at what I did. Yep. I served my ass off. I'm, you know, all that stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I, I'm a subject matter expert in the world. Yep. I create people who give me referrals, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's the practical thing, but the practical doesn't, isn't always as useful until the internal shift happens, right? That's Once right. The shift happens. That's the spigot. Yeah. And as soon as I figured out that thing that I'm perfectly okay being paid in compliments, that's when the money changed. Yeah. And the money changed fast. Yes. Having known you for a while now, I can totally see that in you. Totally. You and, you and I have talked about that. Yep. I'm one of the top coaches in the world. And I'm like, yes. why am I feast or famine? Sometimes I'm doing great. Sometimes I'm like, what is going on here? And that was what it was. That I, is I what it is. I walk away from a conversation like satisfied. Yes. Someone just told me I was wonderful. Yep. Yep. Giving it away, giving it away. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love that you turned to Hayden. I love that you have that insight. Hell yes, Mark. I'm Isn't really great. So great. I'm really proud of you. For now I now send them to every one of my clients. Yeah. We'll have a link to Hayden and I'll let him know because that's really cool shit. Really cool. That's great. All right. I think we've got some great stuff here. Yes. And you have some homework. I have some homework. I do have some homework. I am going to make a list. Maybe I'll even put it on my show notes page. Who knows? Make a list of my saber tooth tiger and what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. And slow down. Sit. Just sit. Yeah. And then when, you, when that, when that urge to beat yourself up comes, if you can just sit and watch that. Yeah. And realize that that's going to be useless. Right. Like just, and then see what's behind it. My guess is it's grief. Yeah. So that seems to be the foundation of it all. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. What's been most helpful to you for being here in the Trauma Hiders Club? Yeah, you know, from our first conversation, because you said I was your first interview. Yeah. From our first conversation, and one of the things that was really cool is that you and I laugh about our traumas. 
Like you talk, we know you're dealing with some grief and that kind of stuff. I know I deal with these things. Like we're not hiding the fact that we deal with stuff. So we're not spiritually bypassing, but we laugh our asses off at the things that have happened to us, what we believe about the things that happened to us and how it shows up in our lives today. So that's the most, that's what I love about the Trauma Hiders Club is it takes this thing from being so dark and serious because it really, it feels that way to something hilarious. Uh, so that's what, that's my favorite thing about the Trauma Hiders Club, that you somehow you get to do both at the same time and I have no idea. Right, yeah. That, I think that's something I really love about it too. It feels, that just feels real and feels like me, right? Like I don't, it can be very heavy and can at the same time be hilarious. And that's, that's my life. That is my life. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, Mark. From show number two. Yeah. Thank you for being in my life, dude. Yeah. I'm glad you were here. Okay. We made a show. Look at us. Hell yes. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.